Hello, everyone. My name is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky, nestled in the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you for joining us. It is Thursday, July 20th, 2023. And as promised, we have a very special guest today. I'll introduce him uh, in just a moment. Uh, really excited about the topic of the day. We're calling this podcast The Mighty Angels of Revelation. What does God's Word have to say about angels in uh, the last book of the Bible, the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Nathan Jones is going to be with us here in just a moment, but let me bring you up to speed as we get close to the end of the week uh, this week. Let me review some of the podcasts that we've had. If you haven't had a chance to check them out, you can check these out wherever you listen to podcasts, or of course, you can always just go to notbyworks.org and click on the podcast tab, and they're all posted right there. But we started the week Monday with a new segment called Dr. Hickson Answers Your Questions, and we have had a great response to that. Already have a bunch of questions lined up for the next episode, which will drop on Monday, July 24th. Tuesday night, of course, was Prophecy Night uh, in the Denver metro area. That is available both as a video and an audio-only podcast. We talked about the rise in anti-Semitism as a sign of the times uh, indicating we're getting closer and closer to the end of the age. Uh, yesterday, we did our regular world events update with Randy, and as usual, it was power-packed with some uh, pretty powerful information, and I encourage you to check that out. Make that a regular part of your week, as Randy has some fantastic sources and intel from really all across the world, literally, uh, military sources and others that kind of give us some perspective on what's going on. And then he and I try to give you our thoughts and insights uh, through the lens of Scripture. Uh, of course, uh, today we've got Nathan Jones, and then tomorrow we'll close out the week with Dr. Thomas Ice. He's going to be talking about debunking lies about the rapture. And I, I can't tell you how many emails that I get uh, pretty routinely uh, from people that uh, just insist that anybody who believes in the rapture is a, a, a wacko and they're, they're deceived and they've bought into these lies that never seem to die uh, that have been roundly debunked. Uh, and Dr. Thomas Ice is really kind of one of the leading scholars that has written about that in peer-reviewed journal articles and uh, studied it uh, for years. So we want to debunk some of those uh common lies and misconceptions about the rapture, and that'll be uh, tomorrow. On Saturday, we're starting a new segment uh, that uh, will be also with my good friend and uh, geopolitical expert, Randy, uh, talking about how to prepare. And we've got a segment uh, on Saturday, the 22nd, just a couple days from now, uh, ready to drop about how to prepare for an EMP or cyber attack. So I hope you'll look forward to that. So uh, we're going to start having that every Saturday. So it gives you something to listen to over the weekend. And then of course, Sunday, I'll be in the pulpit at Plum Creek Chapel. Love to have you in person join us if you're in the Denver metro area. Otherwise, we do live stream our Sunday message at uh, 10 o'clock on uh, Sunday. So with that, uh, really excited to talk to uh, uh, my friend and, and colleague, uh, Nathan Jones, I've had the privilege of uh, working with Lamb and Lion a few times. They've been so gracious to have me on and to help promote uh, our work and not by Works Ministries. But uh, I think he's one of the brightest minds of our day, and I was really intrigued by his book. Uh, so he's written uh, several books, but this one that we're talking about today is called The Mighty Angels of Revelation. It just made the Amazon Best Read List. You can get it at ChristInProphecy.org. ChristInProphecy.org, or of course uh, at Amazon. But uh, you know, as I've said before, we think Jeff Bezos probably has enough money, so maybe uh, help out Lamb and Lion a little bit and get it through Christ in 
prophecy. But Nathan, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today. Really excited to have you on the program. Welcome to Not By Works Ministries. Oh, thank you, Dr. Hickson. I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, brightest, one of the brightest minds. Now my head won't fit through the door. I, <laughs> I, I'm just honored to be on your... I've been following you for years, ever since the Mid-America Prophecy Conference, where I first met you up in Tulsa and uh, watched you on the panel with the other guys. Uh, someday I'm going to be like JB. I'm going to get a doctorate and uh, be a, teach Bible prophecy like this. So, brother, I am honored. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Well, it is my pleasure. And uh, yes, I guess it it is Dr. Nathan Jones. Uh, we're both kind of in an ap- academic environment, um, but uh, you can just call me JB, and I'm sure you don't okay. mind if I just call you Nathan. But uh, Please do. But yeah, credit where credit is due. Yeah, I remember that Mid-America Conference, and uh, and we've interacted a few times since then. We've shared the platform at various conferences. And, uh, you know, I don't know how you feel, but when when we go to these conferences, obviously, if I'm speaking, sometimes it it's, it's, can be stressful, it's tiring, and then you're dealing with people at the resource table between sessions. And I'm not always able to go to every session from some of the speakers, but your sessions are always ones that I mark out as a must-see. I always would love to hear uh, what you have to say. So uh, thanks for all you do. So tell us a little bit about this uh, book. It's called The Mighty Angels of Revelation. And kind of give us some background. How did you come up with the idea? And uh, what's the main focus? Well, the actual book comes from an event that happened in my life maybe uh, 15 plus years ago. I got this call in the middle of the night. You know how that is. Uh, You know, something is wrong. And it was my sister who was calling me and she let me know that my parents had gotten a terrible car wreck. They'd Mm. been just driving down a simple country lane. There was another car heading their way. And my father noticed that the woman driving the car was looking in the back seat. She wasn't paying attention. Finds out it was a young mother. She was adjusting her kid in the car seat. Well, she crossed over into my parents' lane and slammed right into their car. The impact was so strong that it actually pushed the engine through the firewall and onto my mother. Mm. So both cars are there. They're 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 a wreck. My father had uh, had his ribs crushed, had broken ribs, you know, but at least he could move. So what he did is he put the window down and he crawled out of the window, fell onto the the street, went around and tried to open the door to get my mother out and he couldn't. And he passed out in the middle of the street from the pain. Well, he's a big biker guy. And he heard what he recognized as a Harley Davidson engine. They have a specific sound. And he looked up between, you know, coming and going. And this giant chrome wheel rolls up next to his head. And he he heard the biker get off and get the clack of the boots. And he lifted him up and put him into the grass. And then my father said he heard this terrible wrenching sound as he ripped the door open and, and got my mother out of the car. Well, then he heard the guy go over to the other car and check out, make sure the woman was okay. We found out later she'd broken both her feet, but the baby was fine. Mm. And uh, so my father was coming in and out of consciousness and he wakes up in the ambulance as they're putting him in the ambulance. And he leans over to the paramedic and says, can you please thank the biker for coming to our rescue? And the paramedic's like, "Uh, what are you talking about, sir? What biker? He says, "The, the guy on the motorcycle who stopped to help us. And they looked, the paramedic looked at the cop and the cop looked at the paramedic and he said, well, I'm sorry, sir. There's been no biker here since we got here. And so my, my father, I called him a little later at the hospital because he, he was fine and enough. I mean, he had broken bones and stuff like that. My mother was crushed. He had to have reconstructive surgery on one side. Mm. Uh, but um, my father was telling me that he thought that this was an angel who came to rescue him because nobody could remember him. And I remember on the phone, you know, it's late and I'm like, 
that can't be right. Angels coming and rescuing people. Something really sounds kind of strange about that. So I was talking with a buddy of mine, uh, Vic Batista and I, he's a pastor in, in Florida, and he and I have been doing a podcast called The Truth Will Set You Free since 2010. And I said, Vic, I, my father thinks that an angel came and rescued him. And he says, well, there's lots of stories in the Bible and today about angels rescuing people. Why are you skeptical? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm a seminarian. Why am I skeptical? I've read about this all the time. And he says, well, let's do this. He says, why don't we teach through the book of Revelation on our podcast, and we will identify all the angels that we come across in the book of Revelation, which happen to be 72 angels or groups of angels. And so we taught, we took about a year teaching through Revelation, and then I blogged it for a while. And then our founder, Dr. David Reagan, I'm telling him about this and about all I'm learning about angels, even though you, know, you take classes in angelology, but you never expect to, you'll encounter one, you know, even though the Bible says that we encounter angels unaware. And so uh, that's how it came. The a my father's accident turned into a teaching series, which turned into a, a blog series, which then turned into a book. So it's uh, uh, the mighty angels of Revelation, and I didn't want people just to have to to read it. I also wanted to kind of see what the angels might be. So I hired this very talented illustrator, Shalise Stevens, and she made 12 beautiful illustrations of what some of these angels could have looked like. And then we were real blessed to have Terry James write the forward to this book. And it was just kind of my journey through not only studying and understanding the book of Revelation better, but understanding what how God uses angels in this world. And brother, I tell you, I was I was shocked what I learned. I mean, you think, ah, that's that's Old Testament stuff. But you know, there's there's 108 references to angels in the Old Testament, but 176 references in the New Testament. That's 284, almost 300 references to angels in the Bible. So clearly, angels are large and in present in this world. And I believe, I think I learned a lot about it. So I wanted to share that with other people through this book. So that's the long version. Sorry about that. No, that's great. It's fascinating. So you have no doubt now that that uh, very well could have been an angel that rescued your parents from that wreckage, right? Well, what's funny is that since this book's come out, I've had at least a dozen people come up to me and tell me about their car woes. And in each story, a biker angel came out of the blue, rescued them and rode off. Matter of fact, my my very last, I added the 73rd bonus angel to this, the book and I called him the biker angel because Somewhere there's an angel who likes Harley Davidsons who goes around rescuing people. How about that? Wow. That well, certainly uh we've, you know, could not agree more with that. And we've in the last few years, especially since I started researching the Luciferian conspiracy, have really found myself uh doing a deep dive into uh angelology. And as you say, you know, I've I've studied it, taught it for but more from a just a traditional sort of academic perspective without really uh, you know, connecting the dots with God's end times plan and the upsurge that we see in, uh, you know, phenomenalistic type activity, the closer we get to the return of Christ. And so, uh, yeah, can't wait to get into uh, some of the, the specifics. I think I was mentioning to you off air that I, I taught recently at, at uh, the pre-trib uh, conference. I think it's been two or three years ago now on the subject of uh, from the book of Revelation of the everlasting gospel that one of the angels proclaims. And so I hope in our uh, brief discussion today, you can at least uh, give us your thoughts on on that one. But yeah, there's no question that uh, angels play a key role in that final 
seven-year period that so much of Revelation talks about after the rapture, during the the rise of the Antichrist, and uh, and I assume you've got some content in the book about uh, you know both the the evil angels and the good angels, right? I mean, Satan's demons are referenced all over uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, so, so yeah, let's dive in. What's uh, what is you know? Give us some highlights of some of the things that really stand out to you as you did your research. Okay, yeah, uh, the gospel angel is number forty nine. So we'll, okay. we'll get there, but I'm not going to go individually. But uh, just uh, folks for a, a bird's eye view, uh, we get the word angel. It comes from the Hebrew Malik or the Greek. Agelos or Angelos, and that's where we get the word angel. And we find angels in the Bible to be the messengers of God. They delivered messages from God to various people throughout the Bible, but that's not all they did. They they were also guardians and protectors. They they were rescuers. God would send them to rescue people. Uh, there is even warriors that that fight these angelic battles that we cannot see. Of course, uh, angels are also worshipers. They stand before the throne of God and worship Him day in and day out. Uh, there's, like JB said, the gospel angel. There's others that are evangelists. They bring God's uh, gospel message out to the people too, and especially mostly during the tribulation, we'll see uh, that in particular. They're enforcers. They enforce God's will upon the world. They're also his servants. They serve him, and they serve mankind made in his image. And some, as you read later in the book of Revelation, even act as executioners, sending those, or casting those people uh, that have rejected the Lord to hell. So those are just a, kind of some of the jobs that angels do. Uh, when it comes to the power of the angels, now, this is interesting. Uh, uh, this really caught my, my, blew my mind is that if you read in the Old Testament, the angels are called sons of God. They positionally are placed over mankind in the hierarchy of things. But after Jesus died on the cross, you see that mankind, those who are saved, become the sons of God, and the angels are said to serve mankind. And so mankind, through Christ, was elevated to where the Lord always meant for us to be, is to be his children. So even though angels are infinitely more powerful than us, and some of the angels we'll read about here are incredibly powerful, mankind still is positionally over the angels. And I think that's one of the reasons why Satan rebelled. He hates mankind with a passion. He hates that we were made in his image. And so uh, positionally to that, that could be one of the reasons. So that's a little about the, the background of what the angels do. Yeah. And so in Hebrews, or let's see, actually it's quoted in Hebrews too, but it's a Davidic Psalm, uh, Psalm 8. Um, but in Hebrews 2, it talks about mankind uh, being made a little lower than the angels. Um, um, and Jesus, you know, was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of, uh, of death, crowned with glory and honor. So we are God's highest pinnacle of creation and the crown jewel of creation uh, made in his image. And we are the image bearers of God. But of course, that image became corrupted at the fall. And to the extent that we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died and rose again for our sins, that image is restored. And we're now made right with a holy God. And if we live out that new nature, we are reflecting uh, God's glory. But angels now are here to be ministering servants and and to serve us. Did I summarize that properly? Yeah, and you you touched on a major point too. Is it's not like it's a wonderful life when we die, we don't become angels. You know, when the bell rings, 
an angel gets his wings. That's that's not true. Uh, angels are a separate creation. Uh, we read in the book of Job how the angels celebrated with the Lord while he was creating uh, at least the earth. I don't know about the universe. Uh, I, I struggle with where the angels fit into the human timeline, but we know God exists outside of the human timeline. So where the angels entered into that position, we don't know. Uh, God is eternal and he could have eternal creations. And we don't know exactly where, but we know the angels were there when God was forming the earth and, and doing the six days of creation. So that's there. But, you know, when it comes in, this is something, JB, I, I really blew my mind is that, you know, when I was growing up, you read these 1950s Americana books and it always has these illustrations of angels, right? And angels are always these tall white guys with blonde curly hair, and they have these beautiful fluffy angel wings, and they've got this, this halo glowing over their head, and they walk around in sandals, and they worship the Lord day in and day out. And growing up, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's what they, kind of like stormtroopers, you know, they all look alike. <laughs> and But in when you read in the Bible, that's not the case, because Take, for instance, the the seraphim, the, the four living creatures that stand before the throne of God, and one has the face of a lion, and one of the ox, and one of an eagle, and one of a man, and they have six wings, and they're covered in eyes, and, and they sing and praise glory, glory, glory before the throne of God day in and day out. Then you got the cherubim, who have those same four faces, but all on the same head, and they have four wings, and they carry the throne of God. There are these as we read in Ezekiel, the wheels within a wheel. And so we've got the six-winged angels. we got the four-winged angels. We also have angels that can appear as humans. I mean, when, for instance, the angel of the Lord, who is a pre-incarnate name for Jesus Christ, he's not an angel, but a messenger of the Lord. When Jesus would show up in the Old Testament, like, for instance, to Abraham and Sarah, they had he had other angels with them, and they looked just like men. So angels can possibly either look like men or change their appearance to look like men. But man, I read some about these angels that control the weather, like the angels that control the four winds, the which I call in the book, the wind angels. There's angels that control the, the waters. We When we read about the demons, there's locust-like demons uh, for the, the strong angel. He's like a giant. They're different sizes. They're, they're different. It's, it's almost as varied as the animal kingdom is here. Angels have different looks different abilities, different strengths, and they're also in different hierarchies. They are in a military-style hierarchy with the archangels at the top, then you've got your administrative angels, and it works down to your, your basically your, your lower grunt angels. And what's yeah. interesting, with the demons, they're arranged in a military hierarchy as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And uh, a couple of comments on things you said so far, just because as I've been kind of studying this, it, I've been, you know, had discussions with a lot of different people, some of our mutual friends and colleagues too. And it's, you know, theology is a process, right? It's a lifelong process. We're always learning and connecting the dots and studying. We'll never fully arrive. But uh, uh, I've had it suggested that, you know, potentially seraphs and, and seraphim and, and cherubim might not necessarily be a class of angel specifically, but just another class of celestial being. But it sounds like you take the view that I've kind of taken traditionally, which is that, you know, there, that angels is an, an all-encompassing term to refer to these uh, celestial beings and the, that seraphim, cherubim, and that type of thing refer to the different classes. Is that is that a good summary? Yeah, I, I think we don't know uh, enough about the celestial beings to classify them. So you're right. Angels, I believe, is a 
is what we use to kind of wrap our mind around them. It's like saying human beings, but then ignoring all the ethnicities. There's yeah, they're they're not like I said earlier, stormtroopers. They're not all cookie cutter, carbon copy. They 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 look different. They act different. Some are even animal in form. Some are elements of nature. And whether that makes them celestial beings of a different order, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah uh, but we'll, we will know one day. We will stand amen. before the Lord. And that's Amen. why what's wonderful about the book of Revelation, it's it's means apocalypsis or, or the apocalypse. Uh, 18 times in the Bible, it means to unveil. And that's the beauty of the book of Revelation. It unveils the spiritual world that humanity can't see and gives us a kind of a behind-the-scenes view of the God's work, not only his big plan for humanity, but how he enacts that plan through his angelic servants. Yeah, and you know the Bible comes full circle, uh, telling a, a story over a period of uh, you know, well, the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different human authors on three different continents and three different languages. But it tells a, uh, you know, a, a credible story of continuity that goes from fall to redemption to, uh, you know, the pre-fall Edenic state in the garden. So when you get to the Book of Revelation, it shouldn't surprise us that angels and demons play a you know, prominent role in those final days before Christ comes back to make all things new. But one other point that I wanted to uh, comment on before uh, we get back to Revelation, uh, and this is the systematic theologian coming out in me, I, I would agree we don't know when in God's order the angels were created, but I do believe they were created beings because I think only God is called eternal in Scripture. Uh, he's the, there never has been a time when God didn't exist, never will be a time when he doesn't exist. He is outside of time, space, and matter, as you said. So he's eternal. Angels are created beings. Uh, we don't have a specific order in, in the six days of creation when they fall, but we can court, sort of narrow it down based on when they show up. Um, but I wouldn't say that there are eternal angels, uh, at least not according to the biblical text, but that's just my my perspective on it. So, so you get to the book of Revelation. It is the apocalypse. Of course, the biggest revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, God's Son, as he comes back to the earth to uh, with a sword proceeding out of his mouth to uh, uh, tread the winepress of the wrath and fury of Almighty God. But along the way, we see a lot of angels doing a lot of different things. So uh, talk to us about some of those. Certainly. Well, to, to go back to that point you made about the, the angels being created, being yes, and I guess it depends on how one interprets hell, whether from the traditionalist or the conditionalist view, can angels be destroyed? Uh, that's up for debate, too. But what uh, just blows my mind about angels as created beings is that we underestimate their power and strength. It's interesting that as as the Apostle John, now bear in mind, John is 97 years old when Jesus comes to him in person in his full glory and brings this revelation to the Apostle John. Remember, uh, Apostle John was the only apostle that hadn't been murdered, although the uh, church history does seem to record that they, they did try to boil John to death and somehow he survived. So here you got this 97-year-old man on this penal island of Patmos, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ comes to him, and he gives him this angel, and this is the first angel in the list. I call him the revealing angel. He's kind of his guide through the book of Revelation. And twice, twice, John, who has seen the glory and majesty of Jesus Christ, still made the mistake of falling before the feet mm -hmm. of the revealing angel and attempting to worship him. And the angel immediately is like, no, 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 don't do that. You know, Worship is for God alone. I'm just a fellow servant with you. 
And so we we must not take, make light of it. Matter of fact, uh, I, I forget the passage uh, reference exactly, but the Bible talks about foolish people who slander celestial beings as if you know they're nothing. But these are incredible, incredibly powerful creatures, and the only reason they're on our side is because God made us as His children, and, and so we need to take them seriously. But we must also not worship them. Um, my father sold Christian books and Bibles for many years, and some of his books between the publishers and the book would be Catholic shops. And it was just would always burden him to see so many Catholic stores with angel worship in it. And that, that's a form of idolatry. So we have to make sure that we follow what the, the revealing angel told John. I'm just a fellow servant with you. We're not to worship angels. Worship is for Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's uh, it's. Uh... It's amazing what uh, how many things through six thousand years of of history people will put in the place of God and elevate, whether it's rocks, stone, wood, altars, you know, mystical images, uh, and of course we're seeing a lot of that today. As uh, with AI, we're seeing people uh, create. Uh, false Christs, just like Jesus talked about in the Olivet Discourse, and uh, young people in particular flocking to AI Jesus in in by the thousands, by the tens of thousands. So, yeah, that's a that's an incredible picture that's painted right there at the outset. Of it just shows us how powerful these angels are, and of course, on the flip side of that, that means that evil angels are pretty powerful as well, and we want to. Uh, you know, be aware of that. But yeah, uh, please continue. Well, it's a good point about the evil angels, because it's a complete opposite of the revealing angel. Uh, the demons want to be worshipped. And mm. uh, we we got to remember that Satan is the greatest of all creation. He is the mightiest. He is the most beautiful. He was the guardian cherub over the throne of God. He was also the worship leader in charge of the angels worshiping the Lord. But over time, he began to desire the worship for himself, and the Bible says that pride overtook him and made him fall. And angels, just like humans, which is interesting, uh, have free will. And the angels, a third of them, choose to side with Satan in an attempt, or he was called Lucifer at the time, attempted to overthrow the throne of God. Now, angels might be incredibly powerful and Satan the most powerful, but you know, compared to God, they're nothing. They're gnats. And so it was pretty easy for, I believe, Michael, who's, who actually has a good respect for Lucifer's strength, which shows that, again, even though Lu Michael's the strongest of the angels, he still is probably one step down from Lucifer. And there's a respect there about his strength and a concern about it. But anyway, so what God did is he, he took the demons that rebelled against him and he sent them down to the earth, which I believe happened uh, after the six weeks creation, because there was, you know, decades, if not a hundred years or so of Adam and Eve living in, in peace. And then you've got Satan trying to tempt man and make them fall. And it seems, and this is, there's some contention about this, JB, which surprised me because I thought it was pretty clear cut until people came up to me, but there's two groups of angels. There's those that the Lord sentenced to the earth. They're disembodied. Jesus talked about them, how they they move from body to body or body to animal looking for a place. Uh, they're a cold. They're kind of in limbo. They're, they're body, they've been stripped of their bodies, and they're the ones that are behind what Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we do not 
wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So that's the demonic realm. But there's a second group of demons, which we read in the book of Revelation, as uh, particularly chapters 12 through 14, that are being kept in the bottomless pit. That's the pit in Hades that separates torments and paradise, and they are kept there awaiting the day where the Lord will release them. And so we've got uh, uh, the, um, excuse me here, I skipped over that. Yeah, Um, here we go. We got ones um, that look like locusts. They they, They will sting mankind during the tribulation for five months. We've got Abaddon, who is their general, and he is like a super powerful, not as powerful as Satan, but he's super powerful. And he leads them. And you've got these four chimera-like demons that are like mixtures of all these different animals. And they're going to run amok over the earth during the midpoint of the tribulation. So there's two categories of angels or demons, excuse me. I call them all demons, but some people have come and say, well, I consider the disembodied ones fallen angels and the other one demons. I don't know how you classify you're an expert on angelology. Yeah, that's Uh, been a fascinating uh, journey for me, too. I'm still kind of working my way through it, trying to be as thoroughly biblical as I can and let the text speak where it speaks and then not be dogmatic where it doesn't. Uh, But yeah, there are those that think uh, demons are, uh, honestly, some people say the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim uh, Mm -hmm. from Genesis 6, and we don't necessarily have to go there. Um, But yeah, they do see a distinction between a demon and a fallen angel. The view that I take in my Spirit of the Antichrist books um, is that, you know, demon is just another synonym for fallen angel. Um, But I want to go back to one thing that you uh, mentioned. Um, This is what I love about having discussions with other theologians is that, you know, you just you you can talk about things you haven't really talked about much before. Uh, You mentioned that conceivably Adam and Eve might have been around for decades or even 100 years. Uh, I've I've taught uh, just the opposite. I think the uh, the indication of the command to be fruitful and multiply and the fact that prior to the fall of man, conception would have been 100 percent perfect. Uh, that had they been there for very long at all, they would have had uh, children. But we know from the biblical record they didn't conceive until after the fall because uh, uh, their children were born in sin. Uh, so I'm just curious what uh, what makes you speculate, and it is just that, I get that, we're all speculating, um, think that the fall might not have happened for you know decades or longer uh, after Adam and Eve were created. Well, primarily because Adam had time to name all the animals, to uh, tend the garden, to have that relationship with the Lord, but then over time learned that it wasn't enough. You know, there's we need to have that connection with with our Lord, uh, and he had that connection with the animals who were friendly. They weren't trying to eat him or anything like that, but there was still something missing. You know, the animals had males and females. Why why didn't mankind? And so I can't imagine it was like a month later, and he's like, oh, man, I wish I had a female. You know, there could have been a time period there. I think uh, that's certainly possible. I just think that's the reason God paraded them in front of him. And remember, in that time, there there weren't nearly as many animals as we have now. There was, you know, one species, but then at over 6,000 years. The kinds, yeah. Right. So I don't think it would have taken long. And I think immediately after that, Adam is like, wait a minute, you know, there's no suitable helper here for me. This something's missing. And that's when <laughs> God caused him to fall into a sleep and he created Eve. Um, but anyway, yeah, just, just interesting. I've always kind of packed all of that in right there at the beginning of of creation, uh, you know, uh, but anyway, 
it's it the stuff be, that yeah. We, yeah. We, we weren't there to find out. Uh, and also because there's time for the angels or the demons to fall, you know, why were the demons so jealous of mankind? You know, why did they want worship for themselves? Why do they come and demand it from us? And, you know, it kind of puts a perspective to ancient history. We we spend a, t- a lot of time looking at animistic cultures and, oh, man, they're so primitive and they're so stupid yeah. and they're, they're you know, worshiping blocks of wood and idols. No, they're worshiping demons. I mean, isn't that what ideology is? It's demon worship. These people had front and center demonic activity out there where they could see all the time. Whereas in our Western world, although it's changing, our you know, postmodern world, we we don't think about angels or demons being active because it's easier to keep us duped into thinking they're not and ignore the spirit world than what the Bible says. And now that's quickly changing in the United States as we adopt, I believe, more of a spiritist post-postmodern era. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, very well could be that it was monsters. Uh, I just, I think the, they, they would have had time with the Lord. And I think we forget too that Adam and Eve were probably, I mean, they were perfect at the beginning, right? So intellectually, physically, mentally, maturely, they were probably beyond our capability. Like they're humans with a 200 IQ, I imagine. They were, they, they were the, the perfection that God had made. And we are carbon copies of carbon. You ever see that uh, old, uh, movie multiplicity where um uh, who's the guy michael keaton so hmm. what he does is he he invents this machine his wife has all these things he wants to do and he wants to be multiples of himself so he keeps making all these carbon copies of himself but eventually a carbon copy says hey i'm going to make a carbon copy of myself so he can do my work and that carbon copy was really stupid and i don't wonder if we don't see such degradation in mankind now that if human history continued on that the human race wouldn't exist anymore. We would genetically be so many carbon copies of carbon copies in this fallen environment. And I don't even know why I'm talking about that, but basically what I'm saying is I think we under, we think that I guess like that old movie uh, was it Island of the blue lagoon with Brooke Shields, you know, they're two very innocent kids and they only had to obey one thing and they, they blew it. And I, I think we underestimate how intelligent and how connected they were to the Lord and how that temptation must have really been some temptation and yeah so, so just to, yeah it's, just a, it's to, a good thing yeah no, that's it, what theologians it, do right they, they sit around and debate things that we can't possibly know the answer to it is yeah talking with uh, dr nathan jones here from lamb and lion ministries about uh his uh a new book the mighty angels of revelation um yeah so just to put a period at the end of that little side excursus there yes. so you're you're <laughs> suggesting uh you know or speculating that Adam might have been around for quite some time, but then, you know, God created Eve. And then it was probably shortly after that, that the fall happened. Cause I'm just struggling to see how they would not have conceived any children had they been there together for very long, because a God commanded them to do just that. And B there were, there was no problems getting pregnant prior to the fall. Cause it was perfect mm-hmm. conception. And so that's, that's that a good point. Of- that might be why Satan targeted Eve first because she might have been less around the block than Adam. I don't know. That, yeah. That's a good question. And you look at the 6,000 year timeline too, and you know, you got to fit, fit that in somewhere. And it, it had to be a certain block of time. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Again, that well, the we'll, Bible doesn't say. We'll add that to our list of questions. Uh, I've got <laughs> a lengthy one. I'm sure you do too, to ask. Yes. When we get to I'd love to know, man. I'd love yeah. to know. And I, you know, so some people say, yeah, we get to heaven that God will, 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 play it all back. And I, well, I don't think he's going to play all the sin of the world back, but you know, what's amazing, what to get out of that is that Adam and Eve 
walked and talked and had fellowship with God face to face. And all of human history is to get us back to that position where we walk and talk and have fellowship. But this time, heaven is populated by people who want to be with Jesus. Mm. Every generation is a harvest, and the Lord is harvesting people who in faith want to be with him forever. And that's the beauty of the book of Revelation, because it gives us Christ's victory story. It's the end of this age. Uh, it's uh, Matter of fact, it's so exciting. If you go to Revelation 1, verse 3, there's a blessing, a promised blessing for those who read the book of Revelation. It says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Now, that's exciting, brother, because what we know is that when Jesus Christ returns, he defeats all the Antichrist, the false prophet, all these demons. He rebuilds the world. He puts his kingdom on this earth for a thousand years and then on into eternity. And so we know from the book of Revelation that even though there's a thousand plus more years of God's plan for this era, this is six, seven thousand years by the time it's done is a short amount of time compared to the eternity we have to be back in a Garden of Eden-like atmosphere where we walk and talk and have fellowship with our Lord once more. Brother, I am so looking forward to that. Amen. Yeah. And you know, it's sad when you think about Revelation 1-3 that you just mentioned, we're blessed to see who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. How many churches today uh, are deceived and don't ever talk about Bible prophecy? I mean, it, they're missing out on a blessing besides just not teaching the whole counsel of God and not the blessed hope and all of the other pragmatic aspects of ignoring Bible prophecy. There is an explicit blessing that they are missing out on because they don't talk about it. But uh, but yeah, so, you know, you you mentioned the apostle and how he was 97. One of the fascinating things to me when I, when I look at uh, John's epistles, which I believe were written, you know, not long before the book of Revelation, same general time frame, and the book of Revelation. And then I look at the gospel of John, which he wrote some 60 years earlier, um, or let's see, the Gospel of John would have been roughly right before 70 AD, but the experiences that he describes in there were 60 years earlier. And one of those experiences that he describes, the, the Apostle John in the Gospel, is the upper room. When Jesus promised John and the other disciples that the Holy Spirit would bring to their remembrance the things that he was telling them right then at that moment. And then you fast forward, you know, some six decades from that upper room experience, and you find you know, John writing, for example, in his first epistle about what it means to abide in Christ and remain close to him and have fellowship with him. And then, of course, as you said, just before he dies, he gets this incredible uh, vision uh, through the Holy Spirit from the island of Patmos that, that tells us kind of the end of the story, the coming of Christ and the millennial reign of Christ. So um, we've got a few minutes left. I, I feel like we've chased a few rabbits, which it was predictable <laughs> with with two you know, guys that love to talk about theology. But I want to to cover at least a few more of the angels that you cover in your book uh, from Revelation. So fire away. Okay. Uh, well, if we're going to say a blessing, we have to say the curse, because in the very end of Revelation chapter 22, says, uh, verse 18, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, 
God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Well, if you're not in the book of life and you're not living in the holy city, you're going to hell. So it's talking about people who revise. And I believe this isn't just for the book of Revelation, but all God's revelation through the Bible. If you rewrite the Bible for your purposes, you're not saved. And, you know, you were talking about the AI Jesus. You're talking about how, like, for instance, the LGBT Bible, the Queen James Bible is removing all sorts of passages. Um, what was it? Uh, Harari, who was connected with the World Economic Forum, wanted AI to generate a Bible that got rid of the things that they didn't agree with and would be a perfect Bible. I mean, we're seeing that today. And this warning is real. It's saying if you do this, if you take away or add to the prophecy, then you're not going to, you're not saved, not you're losing your salvation, but you, there's no hope for you. And so it's a very important warning. And, uh, but yeah, yeah. So I just wanted yeah. to add that to that there, but uh, I can go down through the list of the angels just to get real well, quick. Before, before you do that, let me just clarify. Cause you know, at our, at not by works, our passion is the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel. And that's yes. one of those passages that you just quoted there at the end of revelation that sometimes causes people a little confusion. Um, you know, you have to compare scripture with scripture, right? And one yes. of the fundamental rules of hermeneutics is interpreting the, the uh, obscure in light of the clear uh, revelation is not saying that, that warning, that, that curse, as you said, that, that kind of bookends the book of revelation is not saying, suggesting that a person can lose their salvation if exactly. they do that. It's just describing someone who's not saved, uh, who then takes the extraordinary step of, you know, uh, taking away from the words of this book and so forth, which I believe there will be people that do that in the during the tribulation, you know, that are agents of Satan, agents of the beast and the false prophet that are out there, you know, uh, kind of like you all know Harari is in the present day, uh, you know, discrediting or trying to discredit God's word and the Bible and mocking it and, and so forth and so on. So the only way anyone goes to heaven is by faith alone and Christ alone. Uh, in fact, throughout all generations, faith is the one and only means of being justified before a holy God. Abraham was justified by faith, for example. Um, and the only reason someone goes uh, to hell is because they've not trusted in Jesus Christ. In fact, John the Baptist said, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. So I just wanted to clarify that because I know this podcast is going to be, get a lot of traction, especially because of your ministry with Lamb and Lion. And then the, the topic is just fascinating, talking about angels. Uh, and so we might have some folks stumble upon this that don't know the Lord. We want to implore you mm -hmm. Today's the day of salvation. Place your faith in Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for your sins. He's the only hope. All right, so continue. <laughs> no, uh, thank you for, yes, definitely clarifying that. That is extremely important. Um, well, uh, let me just go through some of the lists of the angels here to, to kind of get you an idea. I, obviously, we don't have enough time to go through all of them, but we start with the revealing angel. That's the angel who's kind of like the tour guide for John. And we must remember that John is only recording what he's seeing and hearing. This message, this revealing is coming from Jesus Christ himself. So lots of red letters there in the book of Revelation. We're brought before, uh, John is brought before the throne of God and he encounters the seven spirits. And so I, I delve into whether they are angels or the Holy Spirit. And I interpret it as uh, the sevenfold work of the spirit or the Holy Spirit. You also have a reference to the angel of the Lord, which is, again, the pre-incarnate name for Jesus Christ. So he wasn't an angel, but it meant the messenger of the Lord. But then we get into the seven churches of Revelation, Revelation chapters two and three. 
and each church is addressed as an angel. Now, some interpret it to be the pastor, but you have an angel that's addressed over Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And this is where we kind of see the work of the angels as guardians and caregivers, that we have angels and guardians and caregivers over our churches. We then get before the throne room of God in Revelation 4 through 5, and we are introduced to the 24 elders, which again are not angels. I actually believe that they will be a rotating group of people that sit around the throne of God, and we might be one of those 24 elders because they take their crowns off and lay them before the feet of the Lord, and uh, that will be one of the roles of those of us who are saved and be in heaven one day. We explain the seraphim, which are living creatures, the four ones that sit before the throne of God, the cherubim, and then uh, we talk about different servant angels. There's this strong angel that comes with a message. Uh, there's choir angels. Uh, there's an order to the angels or the order angels. And then we dive into Revelation chapter six through eight, and I address the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which again are not angels. They're symbolic of the things that will happen at the very beginning of the tribulation. But we're interested in some of my favorite, and this is the cover of the book is the four wind angels that the Lord, you know, we're all worried about global warming and climate change. And the Bible says God is uses angels to control the weather. So even though the weather's going bonkers right now, and brother, you're really dealing with it in Colorado, but we know that the Lord is using weather to wake us up, to let us know he's coming soon. We've got an angel that brands the heads of his followers during the tribulation. There's the angels around the throne. There's an incense angel that takes our prayers and presents them as incense before the Lord. Then we get into the trumpet angels. There's seven of those. There's an angel. Uh, the number 27 is the vulture angel. He looks like a vulture. There's an angel that looks like a star falling out of the sky. And he opens the bottomless pit and releases the locust demons and Abaddon. Uh, we read about the angel that sits before the altar. There's an altar before the throne of the Lord. Uh, we read about the four horsemen of the Euphrates, the 200 million man army, which it's debatable whether those are demons or or humans. There's the chimera that also come out of the bottomless pit. But we're also introduced to the Colossus angel, the seven thunders, the measuring angel. And uh, I don't know how much time we have left, but if we kept going through, we would introduce you to the demonic realm and then into the bold judgments. There's these well, frog demons. So yeah, I think what I think what we should do is we I'm definitely going to have to have you back on to, to maybe talk about the second half of that. But I want to make a couple of comments or a question here. Um, and then I, I want to close out by having you talk about the uh, angel with the everlasting gospel. I think that'll be a good way to close out today. But if you're willing, we'd love to have you back on uh, oh, sure. again in the coming uh, coming weeks. Uh, but going back to the wind angels, do you think there's any correlation between that and Jesus' statement in, in the Olivet Discourse that at his second coming, he's going to send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect, talking about Israel being regathered into the land from the four winds from one end of heaven to another? Would you correlate that at all? Wow. You just hit me with a whole new thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of, it, well, it hit me as you were talking about it. That's yeah, why I, 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 I think of like the it. four corners of the earth, but will the wind angels use that? I mean, that, you know, it's that passage so confuses people because they put the rapture at the end of the tribulation because of this gathering of the elect, but it's a different gathering of the elect. Yeah. It's the angels when Christ comes will gather all the people from around the world and judge them, as Matthew 25 says, in the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of judgment. 
And so only those who've accepted Christ during the tribulation will live on into his millennial kingdom. The rest will be sent to Hades to await judgment. Are the four wind angels then brought down to, to, to do the lifting up that that could be, that means like, like wind picking you up and and translate. Wow, man, JB. (laughs) I've never thought of that before. You just blew my mind. Yeah. Grammatically it's, you know, uh, you know, from the four winds could easily connect back to the angels. But I take you know, Matthew 24, 31, there is the ultimate fulfillment of all passages like Deuteronomy 30, verse 3, Isaiah 27, 13, and, and do- literally dozens of other passages that talk about when Christ comes back, he will regather Israel supernaturally into the land, mm-hmm. that, that they will be there for the kingdom. So I think the elect in that passage is Israel, and he's that's the fulfillment of of you know the believing remnant of Israel that's going to cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because remember, Jesus said, "You won't see me again until you cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." And Joel had said in Joel two uh, thirty two that uh, you know that when Israel calls on the name of the Lord, then they will be delivered into the kingdom. So I think that's definitely talking about Israel in that particular verse. But it's just interesting that he mentions angels are going to be the ones that gather them, and mm-hmm. that it's it's in the context text of of four winds. So, so that was that was one thought that crossed my mind and then I wanted to mention too and I should have mentioned this earlier but you were talking about the uh the demonic realm and we're going to hopefully get to talk more about that in our in our next uh, time we get together but uh you mentioned the two classes that some angels are confined in the abyss the bottomless pit, and they, of course, will be released at the midpoint of the tribulation to help Satan, you know, uh, get his army ready for the final battle. But there's another class, at least in my view, that are permanently confined, and we read about this in Peter and Jude, uh, in Tartarus, Peter calls it Tartarus, and these are those angels that left their proper domain and cohabited with women. And I don't know, you may not take the same view of Genesis 6, I know some people don't, but but I, I take it literally as a, you know, the way it's described there in the New Testament as well. But those angels, that that sin of leaving their proper domain was so abhorrent that they're permanently confined. In fact, the book of Enoch actually talks, you know, a little bit more about this. It's not inspired uh, revelation, but it's it's kind of intriguing to see. And they won't be released until the end of the millennium when Satan himself is cast into the lake of fire, that that everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So you've got confined angels and free or confined demons and free demons that are working today, but you've also got a, a subset of confined demons in my uh, angelology that are permanently confined, waiting their final judgment. So I don't know if that is something you would want to comment on or not, but I just thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah, no, that, that's very interesting. So um, now, you know, before we close, you got to, because I've been teasing it from the beginning, and I'm just really curious, uh, how do you take that everlasting gospel and the angel there? Kind of talk to us about that evangelistic uh, angel. Well, there's a few flash forwards. Right? The story of Revelation could be so horrific, and you hear Christians today say, oh, I don't want to read the book of Revelation, it's too scary. But the Lord, in certain chapters, gives these flash forwards ahead to let you know that everything's going to be okay. Jesus Christ wins. And one of that is chapter 14, uh, verse 6, is when these three angels are released. And we call this one the gospel angel. Verse 6 goes, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, 
Fear God and give him glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth and sea and springs and water. And then he's followed by two other angels who actually have uh, curses. But this angel, it's interesting that when you read about the tribulation, people say, well, if the church is raptured out of here, how do people get the gospel message? Well, of course, the Holy Spirit will still be there. You need the Holy Spirit to motivate hearts and move them towards salvation. But we know that the, the Lord will leave or take 144,000 Jews, and they work in evangelistic work. So 144,000 Apostle Pauls running around the earth will have these two witnesses in the first half of the tribulation. Of course, there'll be the Bibles and the literatures. Maybe someone is listening to this podcast in the tribulation. Praise the Lord. Pick up, get a Bible, read the book of Revelation so you know what's going on. Amen. Uh, but the Lord will also have a gospel angel, and this angel will finish the Great Commission. It, he will give the gospel message to every person. And that's why when we read about people taking the mark of the Antichrist, that the Lord says, oh, that's it. They, they have no chance for salvation after that, is because they willingly deny the gospel given to them by an angel and choose instead to swear loyalty to, in effect, Satan. And wow. that's why that's it. So the gospel angel's message is the conclusion of, of the Great Commission. By the end of the tribulation, everybody is, is divided into two camps. Either they, they accepted Christ, and many will die for it, or they've accepted Satan and taken the mark of the beast. And the gospel angel is the epitome or the end of evangelism. Wow, so well said, and you know, I I I couldn't agree more with your treatment of that passage. Um, you know, the the evangelistic gospel. There, some people don't see it that way, and I've never really understood why. But but I also would add that you know, you, you talked about a flash forward. The the literary term for that is a prolepsis or proleptic passage, and so it's looking forward to how things are going to come out. And, and it's that passage is preparing the way, it's kind of an interlude, preparing the way for the final bold judgments that I believe all happened within the last two to three days prior to Armageddon. So it's kind of like everything's coming to a culmination. And so I've made the, uh, the speculation, as you sort of just said, that by that time... <clears throat> Anybody on earth who has not heard the gospel through the missionary work of the 144,000, uh, God will say, I'm going to send this angel out to the you know remotest parts of the earth so that by the time Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation, in fulfillment of his promise in Matthew 24, 14, everyone on earth will have heard the gospel. Now, mm -hmm. that's not uh, going to necessarily be true before the rapture. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. A lot of people think that that you know the rapture can't happen anytime soon because there's still unreached people groups. Not true. The, the rapture is imminent. It could happen at any moment. But we do have this promise that applies to the second coming. And I believe as we get closer to the second coming in that tribulation time, of course, we won't be here. As you said, we will be raptured before that. But those on earth are going to have plenty of opportunity to hear the gospel through the two witnesses, through the 144,000 Jewish missionaries, through just gospel presentations that are left behind. But as we get closer to Christ's return, if there's anybody left who hasn't heard, God's going to use an angel who, of course, can transcend time and space and quickly go to make sure everyone has had the opportunity to hear 
and believe the gospel, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You cannot believe the gospel if you haven't heard it. Uh, now, that doesn't mean you're without excuse, because Romans 1 tells us that those who haven't heard, they know there's a God, and if they'll respond to the general revelation God has given, then he will send them special revelation. But the point is, you can't be saved without hearing the gospel. It's the gospel that's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes it. So, in the waning moments of the tribulation, this angel will go uh, throughout all the world and make sure that everyone has heard the gospel. So really fascinating stuff. I mean, who knew, Nathan, that there was there were that many categories and types and ministries of angels? Because uh, you, you read Revelation, and especially if you're an end times prophecy buff like I am, and you are, I know, you, you tend to kind of think of it just at the macro level in terms of the order of events and the seal, trumpet, and bold judgments. But weaving through it all, as you've just sort of touched on for the last hour, there is this presence of and ministry of angels. Really fascinating stuff. And it's going on all around us, and we can't see it. But occasionally, we intersect with it. And uh, part of the book, too, has quite a number of stories of people's experiences with angels. And so we included some of theirs that just I find fascinating. Uh, one, especially about an, an old woman who was dying and um, her pastor was visiting her and she looks up to the pastor and says, well, pastor, uh, there's these two men all clad in white who are beckoning me from the foot of the bed. <laughs> and the pastor being a pastor, he, he believes it, but you know, he, he's also disbelieves it. And he says, well, what do they want? And she says, they're, they're, they're asking me who, who I'm loyal to, who I love. And, and he says, well, tell them that you love Jesus. And she did and had a big smile on her face and he died. Wow. He says, I believe this, that the angels were there ready to escort. And that's one of the, the duties of angels is to escort the dead right to the presence. When you die, we yeah. know that angels will show up and escort you to the presence of Jesus Christ. And uh, only though, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior. Amen. Yeah. I, my uh, mother-in-law had a similar experience. My wife tells the story because she was in the hospital room when she passed away that you know, she said she she had not been talking for the last few hours because she was really, you know, on her in her final stages. But she cried out, "Is that you, Jesus?" And uh, that could very well have been an angel coming to escort her because she passed away not long after that, just a few oh. few minutes. So, uh, oh. fascinating stuff. I'd love to hear more of those stories. Maybe on the next. Uh, time that we get together and we'll talk off air and pick a date, but uh, you can give us some of those anecdotes because uh, you're right. I mean, angels are real. I believe they're showing up in greater intensity now as this cosmic battle. Uh, I always say, uh, Nathan, when things are heating up on earth, which clearly they are with World Economic Forum and the One World Globalism and all of the morality and the apostate church, when things are heating up on earth, it means they're heating up in the heavenlies. And uh, so we're getting closer and closer, but uh, we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. So again, this has been uh, uh, Nate, Dr. Nathan Jones with Lamb and Lion Ministries, uh, just an incredible book. I encourage everybody to get the book, The Mighty Angels of Revelation. Uh, it should be a, just a standard resource book on your shelf when you're studying the end times, just if for no other reason that it reminds us of the unseen aspect of uh, God's end times prophetic plan. You can get it at ChristInProphecy.org, ChristInProphecy.org, or of course on Amazon. Uh, but Nathan, any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Well, like you said, things are heating up. Uh, Jesus Christ is coming soon. If you don't know him yet as your savior, today's the day of your salvation. Reach out to Jesus Christ in faith, repent of your sins, and ask him to be the Lord and savior of your life. 
Amen. Yeah. And of course, uh, repentance uh, is a change of mind. You can't get to heaven because you stop sinning. I wish we could. Don't you, Nathan? Don't you wish that we could just simply, you know, do a, do a pull ourselves up by our sheer willpower and, and do a complete 180 and stop sinning? And that would be enough to get us in. But uh, not till we get our glorified bodies. Yeah. yeah. Not till then. Not as long as we're bound in this flesh. But we certainly should. Uh, if you haven't already, change your mind and recognize that you are a sinner and that only Jesus can save you. Your sin has a steep penalty. But uh, Nathan, it has been truly an honor and a privilege. And I, I hope uh, I know our folks enjoyed this discussion as much as, as I did. And uh, we'll have you on again. But in the meantime, I encourage folks to uh, stay tuned. Uh, tomorrow, we've got Dr. Thomas Ice on uh, debunking lies about the rapture. On Saturday, we've got a special uh, limited series that we're kicking off on how to prepare. And we're going to start with how to prepare for an EMP and a uh, cyber attack. Uh, but in the meantime, have a great rest of the day, everyone. God bless you. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon.